This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Bateman, and you're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast, which can be found at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories or on any of your popular podcast platforms. After learning she was adopted as a child, Lise LaForge spent years looking for her birth mother, only to deal with a long struggle to accept the shocking truth that her mother was a homeless person she'd been passing on the street for years. Now Lise is an advocate for the homeless and the mental health challenges they endure. Lise, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, John. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yeah, it's fabulous. Glad you could make it. And um, I would like to ask you, what's your anxiety story? Yes. Okay. So let's let's get started on that. Yeah. For, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I was I was born in a small northern Ontario town in nineteen mm-hmm. the summer of nineteen seventy two. Mm-hmm. A year and a half later, I was removed from my birth mother's care, and made crown ward and placed into foster care. Uh, I stayed in foster care for a little over a year. 1974, I was adopted. I received a brand new name. Uh, So for the first two years of my life, I was Debbie. And then, uh, and then I was Lise. And and here I am (laughs) as Lise. That's stuck. Yeah. Uh, I was told, um, I was told by my adoptive mom at eight years old that I was adopted Um, but there was no conversation. There was no explanation. It was simply you're adopted. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, I think like any child, I was extremely curious and wanted to know, you know, what adopted meant. I wasn't brave enough to ask anybody at all. And so I'd have to put these I'd have to put these pieces together on my own as a child. Mm-hmm. So I clued in that I didn't look like anyone in my family. And so that was. So a- you didn't even have a definition of what adopted no, was. No, no, I don't. Your parents just said you're adopted. Yes. And, and so they may as well have said, you know, you're from Mars or, or something. Correct. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Correct. There was yeah. no definition given. Okay. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know it's, it's, it's interesting now. As, you know, as an adult, and it, yeah, it, it it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and in fairness to them, to them, in those times, we didn't talk about much of anything. Yeah. So, um, you, so you started kind of searching for this definition of adoption. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What does this mean? And I clued in at a very early age that I didn't really look like anyone. I had blue eyes. No one had blue eyes. Um, and so that was kind of one of the details that kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at 11 years old, I found my adoption papers. My adoptive mom had them hidden in an armoire. And so when she would leave, I would sneak into this armoire and I would read these papers over and over and over. Wow. And yeah. And so they, they stated my name change and some non-identifying information that is common for adoptees to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was slowly figuring things out and putting the pieces together, but it's still, you know, I was still, 
I was still young and I still didn't have all the pieces yet, but I kind of had this, this idea of, of what was happening. Mm-hmm. So during the next few years, around 14 years old, um, continued reading them. Um, she would continue leaving. It, it just continued being a secret. Right. I don't know if, I don't know if she ever clued in, uh, if she did, she never said anything. Cause I would imagine she saw the papers were disheveled. I'm sure I didn't place everything perfectly, or maybe the drawer wasn't closed or the armor door, but nothing was ever talked about. If she ever clued into it, nothing was said. So in these adoption papers, there's non-identifying information, but the name Claire was mentioned throughout these papers. And so Claire, I learned, was the name of my birth mother. Wow. So I remember as a, a very young child when my adoptive parents would argue, because uh, there was some dysfunctional things happening, I remember praying that Claire would come and find me. Like these are clear, clear, clear memories in my mind that I would just lie in bed and just pray for what I envisioned Claire to be, to just come and come and find me. And, and at this and point, me. you, you, did you know Claire to be your birth mother? You had put well, that together the papers, or Claire the, was just a person that kind of was no, mentioned. Yeah. Well, no, it, 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 it talked about birth mother and Claire. I don't remember the exact right. language, but right. I had put together that, okay, so this woman they're talking about, that would be my birth mother. So that so that was pretty clear to me or that, you know, if if it wasn't accurate, that's what I thought. And in the end, it was accurate. So that worked out. Mm -hmm. So I I made this image in my mind of what she looked like. Even she had blue eyes. Yeah, Yeah, she had blue eyes. She was soft spoken. She was gentle. I made this entire character up in my mind. Um, So I would say when you ask me about my anxiety story, I would say that by the age of 14, I was dealing now by this point with some really big feelings. Yeah, some, I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. Some high anxiety, but wasn't talked about. And I'd go as far as to say that anxiety didn't have a name either. So the word anxiety, that it didn't exist, this, this word anxiety. It had no name. And so at this point, we're in 1986. Mm-hmm. By now, my... Uh, my adoptive father is an alcoholic and my adoptive parents divorce. I'm 14 and now we're dealing with divorce. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So a lot, a lot happening um, and started at a, you know, at a really, really, really young age at birth. Yeah. Really. Yeah, totally. Um, mm-hmm. And so at the age of 18, when I was a legal age, I went to the children's aid office So now that I'm an adult, I completely see how I was far too young to make that decision on my own. But when we're 18, we know everything. And and I I was and I went to Children's Aid and filled out the documents because I was going to start the search to find my birth mother, Claire. Mm -hmm. There that was it. I was doing it. And in my mind, in my 18-year-old mind, she was going to be so happy that I did. There was no, there was no sense of anything other than she's going to be happy that I did. That's it. It was as simple as that. Um, 
So I don't know what the process is now with adoptees uh, when they search for their birth parents. Um, but at the time, eight ladies, early 90s, there was no plan for like counseling or therapy or ongoing support while like a search was being conducted by CAS. Yeah, because you a, had you had quite a wait. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. yeah. And so and there was no support of, you know, therapy for after the search would end. So you fill mm -hmm. out the documents, you sign your life away, they start the search and you wait. Um, and so if you don't have an adult in your life um, that's, you know, supporting you through this, mm -hmm. you know, I was I was doing this on my own. So three short years pass. I'm 21 and I receive a call from Children's Aid um, and they let me know that a match, a match had been made. That's typically how, I don't know how it is now, but how it's described. Yeah. So I answered the phone and I'm asked right away to sit down. Okay. Um, they tell me that what they're going to tell <laughs> Red me. Red flag right, right yeah. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They tell me <laughs> that what they're going to tell me is very difficult to hear. And that they found, so they have a match in their system and a match in, in, is a term used in adoptions when the system recognizes biological family members when mm. they register a search. So the match was clear. Um, so in my mind, mm. I need to pack my bags because I'm going to visit Claire. <laughs> right. So surely uh, if, if I don't live with her, she's going to want me to come visit for a while. So I need to, I need to pack my suitcase. Yeah. So that's my instant. Yes. Okay. Perfect. You found her. And then it's time for me to pack my bag. Mm -hmm. So I remember the feeling like during that phone call. Um, I remember my anxiety, which at the time I didn't know what anxiety was. Um, but I remember the feeling that I had. Mm -hmm. Um the anxiety, what it felt like, and it wasn't anything that I had felt even during like my childhood trauma, it was a whole other level of anxiety. So, so I this was a, a higher level of anxiety. Absolutely. It was, yeah. I would call it now an anxiety attack, which For now sure. I know what it is, <laughs> yeah. um, but I didn't know at the time. So this is 1993 and I'm 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the phone and the CAS worker says to me, um, explains to me that um, my birth mother uh, suffered from schizophrenia and had been a person experiencing homelessness for decades. Um, and the workers knew, the workers from CAS knew her very well because they had been involved with the family for years. And right. small community, small town, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Um, so the worker then uh, explained to me that, so they named her, they said her first name, mm -hmm. and that she was known as the bag lady. And the reason they used that term with me was, when describing her was so that like they were sure I knew who she was because we lived in such a small town and, and everyone knew her. Right. Um, and so when they said that, I remember where I was. I remember where I was standing. I, it was so clear to me, my heart dropped. I couldn't see straight. I started yeah. shaking. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was the first of the big kind of panic attacks yeah. Um, because I knew, I knew the woman they were talking about. Mm -hmm. I was petrified of her. Absolutely can, can, petrified. Can you describe, would you mind describing her a little bit in that case to kind of know what, what, what get an idea of what you were dealing with? And you, like when so, you said you knew her, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 
I worked in a daycare and I'd get off the bus downtown and then I'd have to walk up a street and go to the daycare. And I don't know why, but I felt like, so she, so she was a woman who, the bag lady. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and the reason they called her that the community is because um, she had many bags, but she was a real presence. She yelled a lot. She shouted at people. Um, And that, that scared me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it still scares me when when people do that. And so I was, I was petrified. And so I would take different routes because what if I bumped into this woman? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But, you know, she's never hurt anyone. I've never heard of her hurting anyone, but just the yelling was something that I was very, very, very afraid of. And I felt, and I always felt like I couldn't do eye contact with her, which is very strange now to think that over. Um, and I felt like I stuck out from the crowd, which again is very strange because how ironic, mm-hmm. um, but that's how I felt that I can't do eye contact with her. She'll yell at me. Right. Um, and so I would purposely not walk, you know, up certain streets. Um, yeah, I, I just, I stayed away as much as possible. Yeah. as much as possible so that that all came crashing down on you as being uh, she's one half of your dna yeah that's yeah, yeah and, and, I, and yeah, yeah that's that's that like you know how was that how, how was it feeling that so that so that took me years that yeah. took me years so mm-hmm. at this point i'm coming to the realization <laughs> mm-hmm. to the acceptance uh, that she's not this tall, beautiful, soft-spoken woman, right? That I had yeah. imagined. Yeah. There's no, there's no suitcase. There's no mm-hmm. suitcase for me to pack. Yeah. Um, I'm in shock, mm-hmm. and and I'm in shock. I think that's that's the easiest way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a woman who had suffered from domestic violence. Mm-hmm. She had schizophrenia, who went untreated for decades. Um, all of her children were removed from her care. Mm-hmm. And after losing everything is when she experienced homelessness for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's only in my adult life that it makes sense to me now. But then it didn't. It was yeah. extremely hard to talk to people because I'm in my early 20s and other 21-year-olds are not understanding <laughs> They're not going through that. Chances are they're not going through that. They're not going through it. <laughs> yeah. And um, and no one knew what to say, you know? Right. And that's and that's kind of indicative. If, you, if you're having a mental health issue, you know, you having anxiety, people don't know what to say, that's especially right. back then in the 90s. Yeah. Like what you're telling me is super common. There's no words for anxiety yeah. and depression even back then. Yeah. Let alone the extra stuff you're going through. Yeah. You know, how much did you begin to confide and who did you confide in for support, if at all, in that case? It's it's, it's an interesting question. Close friends, Mm -hmm. boyfriends. Yeah. um, But the responses were worse. They were more painful. Yes, I'm curious about because 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 no one... Yeah, the responses were uncomfortable because people didn't know what to say. And the questions are uncomfortable oftentimes when you're adopted. Um, oh, well, you should be thankful you were adopted. Or there's there's just a lot of mm-hmm. comments people say when, mm-hmm. when you're an adoptee. Um, and people just didn't know how to talk about 
mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to say the word schizophrenia, to be honest. Yeah. Well, until later on in life, I couldn't say the word schizophrenia. 21 is still young and you're still kind of hashing out that, you know, who you are. Yeah. you know, socially. Yeah. And, and if you're talking about people who live, if you're talking about people who live in the same small community as you, your boyfriend, your friends, they would know who she is as well. I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, Every, everyone did. Yes. Absolutely. So, everybody so did. how did people approach that with you? Did that like, did that change you in anybody's eyes? Do you think, or did, did you, were you afraid that was going to affect your I did. social I was standing? Very, yeah, I, I, yeah. I had already moved away at this point. I moved away from the town, uh, around 2021 mm-hmm. um but i had many friends still from from there mm-hmm. um so i would tell my new city friends and then i would also you know and the responses were always the same and they were just i don't remember specifically what they were but i know that they were they made me feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. whether i was talking to an adult whether i was talking to someone my age i i had to stop talking about it mm-hmm. um and I just started internalizing it for right. years. For, I, I, yeah. I actually felt like I was living a secret life um, because if I, if people, I couldn't, I didn't even feel comfortable saying I was adopted anymore because people would have questions because people always have questions. And then yeah. what would I say? So I just should not even say I'm adopted. I should just, I should just leave it alone and not say anything. But that wasn't good. <laughs> well, you're you're going through. I mean, you're you were facing at that in that era, early nineties. You're facing a lot of real stigma, stigmas, and one being, you know, homelessness. Yeah. And you know, and mental and mental health issues. Yeah. And people don't know how to, and being adopted. Yeah. You know, people don't know how to who, who lead quote unquote normal lives mm-hmm. have no idea how to speak that language or how to mm-hmm. react. Mm-hmm. And nor did I. Yeah, uh, for I? sure. And, and I guess yeah. you wouldn't have an idea uh, how no. to react and what to expect from people either. No, no. So you you basically suppressed this for, for a period oh, of time. Oh, 100%. It yeah. really, by not talking about it and in starting to internalize it so young, it really set the tone for my 20s, 30s and 40s. Right. It really, it, it set how life was going to happen. Um in terms of my relationships, like I just, I became chronically worried about people um, in my life leaving or dying. Um, I would get into relationships with people who didn't treat me well, Mm -hmm. because I I, I don't think I felt like I should be treated well. I don't know, but um, I was extremely insecure. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was living a secret life and that no one else could possibly be living this life. Mm-hmm. It's just me. <laughs> Do you feel like that your that your that your anxiety in that in this case, I guess your anxiety was probably dictating a lot of what you're going through. Like your anxiety 100%. was kind of steering you. Hundred percent. So 100%. what at what point and how did you start getting that on track? Did did you start talking to a professional? Did you start doing homework yourself? What was your so what was your strategy I, when you finally decided you didn't want to be this way? Yeah, I became a single mom at 27. Right. And so yeah. that that puts you <laughs> you got to yeah. get your, your stuff together. Yeah, you're in a different um, sense of survival it's, mode it's in a that whole case. Other, it's a yeah. whole other world. And so yeah, that was my ever. focus. That yeah. was my focus. And I had to raise her and I had to I had to be present and healthy and, and um, the anxiety was obviously there, but mm-hmm. I, 
I wasn't even ready to speak to a therapist in my 30s because I even then thought even a therapist won't understand. And even <laughs> yeah. a therapist won't even know what to say because this story is completely impossible. No, I, I, I will grant you that. Not. I will grant I you that. But but the story you're telling is it's it, common. It's, it's the stuff of a, of books, though. Like this, but it this... is common now. I feel <laughs> okay. like so that feel... that's what I don't know, and that's what you know. I yeah, yeah I need so, to know. So now I feel like, look, all of the homeless communities that you see, these people that you see, mm -hmm. have families and mm -hmm. babies and children mm -hmm. so there's lots of me out there there's a lot you know there's a lot of leases out there yeah um yeah. but it didn't I, I didn't feel that before i felt like alone but now yeah. i know that that's not the case um yeah I, I have a completely different perspective on on all of it on life in general um, yeah. So, so quickly circling back, because I, I mm -hmm. feel like we skipped the part where you oh, okay. got, where you got help, because what we're talking about right now is you, you actually seeming like you're, you, you're becoming more, you started researching and getting more into advocacy for homelessness, yes. oh, but for yourself, 100%. but for yourself, yeah. what, you know, before you got to that, you must've had to go through some work to get your confidence, to get your self-esteem to yeah. get yourself to the point that you felt confident to get into that. But so what was your process for, did you, did you get into counseling? Did I you did. So in my forties, in my forties, mid forties, I did um, not intense therapy, some talk therapy. Um, but I've just, I've just come to a realization and I've accepted, I've accepted it all. I've accepted that I am meant to be on this earth. Mm -hmm. um, I've accepted that, that in, in a, in a, an unfortunate situation has happened and, and someone, now we go back to my birth mother, didn't get the help she needed, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so if we look at our mental health system, so she was born in 1943. Well, yeah. there was, there was <laughs> in 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s, there was really no, no Forget support, right? Yeah. And so how far we've come, mm -hmm. but we still have so much work to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is, this is just very clear to me now. Mm -hmm. And so the anxiety is, it's just something I accept. It's almost like lights went off and mm -hmm. there's just a bigger, I have a bigger role to play. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to use it in a different mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that's just why I've been put on this earth is to, to do just that. It's a, it's a strong calling within that I, I just have to follow. Yeah. Before we get into you getting into, you know, you getting into advocacy and ac accessing, I can't, I have to ask you because I'm sure the people who are listening will want to know, mm -hmm. did you approach your mother in any way once you had this information? I, uh, so I had left already. I wasn't in the city yeah. shortly after, um, without getting into too many details because I don't know the specifics she yeah. was removed she was removed from the streets and right. put into a home mm -hmm. um I was given the choice to visit her mm -hmm. but the choice was I could not go as me I would have to introduce myself as I'm a friend of a friend um gotcha. because it would be it would be too traumatic for mm -hmm. her 
Mm-hmm. And at that time, I refused to do that. I didn't want to do that. It, it, for yeah. whatever reasons, it's hard to go back in time and know exactly where my mind was at. Um, but makes it, sense to me. Makes sense to me. It, I didn't accept yeah. it, but I didn't understand yeah. any of it. I didn't understand yeah. schizophrenia. Yeah. I, I still didn't feel comfortable even saying the word schizophrenia. Now yeah. I say it, you know. Yeah. Um, but at that time, and so, and then she passed away in uh, mm-hmm. 2002. So yeah. I never did. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it, if it would have been good to go, if it would have helped me. Um, my memory is of her is, is seeing her on the streets and being afraid. But Mm. at the same time, because I have, I was provided a lot of information more than many adoptees, um, from children's aid. Um, I have a real clear picture of what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, there was a worker from children's aid who was retiring and who had worked the file for 30 years, 20 to 30 years. And she compiled a lot of information. um, Mm -hmm. And it's paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of, of, um, of her being admitted into the psychiatric ward and discharge and into the Mm -hmm. psychiatric ward and discharge. And so I have a very clear image of what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I've just, I've really just, I've naturally it's just somehow I've come to terms with it all and it's not it's it just doesn't feel painful so I don't feel like I need I I, my anxiety will be with me forever and I'm fully aware of that that's that's me too and I think that's one of the big keys for people with anxiety is to not search for a cure and I know that sounds desperate but that's not true that's not true because Yeah, it, I and think I once it's there. acceptance, right? And it's like acceptance for you of the fact that your mother was who she was. You know, you, yeah. you must have to accept it and move on with, with a functioning life at some point. Yes, and I actually have come to a point in life that I see her in such a different way, like such a strong, incredibly strong, resilient woman. And the pain she endured is beyond anything I will ever endure. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. It's it's good that you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you because there's a, you have a lot of emotions tied up in your mother. And the first emotion that I heard you telling me about was that of fear. Mm -hmm. Even though you didn't know who she was at the time, it was that of fear of this person. Mm -hmm. What were your, what was your progression of emotions like? Because obviously you've landed to a place of, of deep caring and empathy and, Mm -hmm. and, and all these different warm emotions for your mother. What was that? What was that trajectory of emotions like for you? Did you go mm-hmm. through anger or did you go through I didn't. You know, a, a lot of that? How, how did that progress for you from, from that think, shock of initially finding out who she was? Yeah. What was, how it quick was, was that educating, transition? It was educating myself on mental illness and educating right. myself on what schizophrenia is and what bipolar is and what mm-hmm. OCD is and just really educating myself and understanding and understanding how someone could become homeless mm-hmm. um, and how when someone doesn't have an advocate and how our mental health system can fail people mm-hmm. and if they you know they don't follow up with their appointments it it, it, uh, it is also clear to me how it can all happen mm-hmm. um, and so it's just it's clear as day um, and I just have a really good understanding but I didn't go through anger I just I feel more sadness so when I mm-hmm. when I for instance I'm I've told you where I live. Um, We don't have a a big presence of of a homeless community, but we have some. And when I 
when I walk by someone who's experiencing homelessness, every time my heart sinks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't just walk by. It, it exhausts me because my, I, I feel so much and my mind starts to race of, oh, I wonder what their story is. I wonder how they ended up here. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they need. What can I do? Is there anything I can do? Oh, I wonder if their mom's worried. I wonder if their sister's worried. Oh, I wonder what they wow. went through. I wonder yeah. what they went through. I wonder if, wonder if it started when they were a child or a teenager. Oh, I wonder. And it's, it, it's a lot. It's constant. Yeah, that is a lot. Um, and and that's what most feels... people don't yeah. think about for a sec. Most yeah. people don't see them as human, I would imagine. And that, re- and so I have a hard time with that mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. because I'll walk by and I'll walk by so many uh, people that are just quickly walking by mm-hmm. and I'll, and I, and I can't seem to understand how we can just walk over them or walk around them yeah. and how we can allow this to happen mm-hmm. um, in 2022. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm. And so that's kind of what I'm dealing with now is the, I, I'm only one person, like, what can I do? You know, mm. I, I can use my voice and I can try and raise awareness. Um, yeah. So I'm working through all of those feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what you do. So as an advocate, that that's what you do. You just find as many ears as you can and, and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like absolutely. on this podcast for example absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely because i think you know had i had i reached had i had access to support earlier on my life would have been very different on mm-hmm. so many levels mm-hmm. um and the thought of others not reaching out for support at an earlier age or later on in life it i just would love for anybody to just hear the message to reach out for help um it's life-changing mm-hmm. and the earlier you do it you mm-hmm. know the better and there are services now yeah and there's the internet now <laughs> yeah 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 there's, there's... there's just so much available mm-hmm. um and be an advocate if you can if you know people who are struggling need advocates well through this podcast to... I, I meet a lot of advocates and, and it's heartening that i meet a lot of young people now because I'm with you like you know your anxiety would have been best addressed when you were 11 years old 12 years old 8 9 10 11 years old um would have been best addressed it it wasn't I'm curious you know when you got into researching you know uh, schizophrenia bipolar and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. how did that did that help you understand your own emotions and and, and how to deal with how to deal with your emotions so initially I was the fear struck me because mm-hmm. what if I have schizophrenia for sure be the first thing a lot of people would think yeah because it, it, it there is a genetic link yeah there is oh, I have yep. no symptoms I, I yeah. have no but, nope. but what nope. if yep but of what course if what if what if, yep. what, what if, if I don't thinking? know yep. it and everyone else sees it no one's saying anything <laughs> yeah. so I went through this this time of just this uh, whole other level of stress of the mm-hmm. what ifs and what mm-hmm. if it hits me later and what if I become someone experiencing homelessness and what if, and what if and what if and what if yeah. so I, I went through I don't go through that anymore well I shouldn't say that I think we all do <laughs> with the cost of living <laughs> yeah. oh yeah well that's a different story <laughs> I, 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 yeah I think I, <laughs> the recession is no, a different story isn't it yes yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna lose my job but I feel much yeah no and on a whole mm-hmm. other level, but I did go through the, the, what if I have it uh, at the same time, 
okay, Lise, mm -hmm. but if you do, you'll be fine. Right. Because you'll reach out for help. You'll do this. You'll educate yourself. You'll go on medication. You'll, you can live a happy, healthy life, but you have to get the support. But initially, you know, initially that wasn't the case, but I've just learned that it, so many people we know are struggling with it and you don't know they are. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It sounds like, because you, you know, people talk a lot about their inner child mm -hmm. and, and, you know, in this case, your inner child is, you know, uh, maybe it's different the way you see it, but I'm looking at the inner, your inner child sort of being yeah. that eight-year-old. So what was, what's really wonderful about the way you deal with that? What if thinking is definitely yeah. the fact that you think, how would I treat that younger version of myself now? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's exactly the same way, yeah. you know, it's with empathy, it's with education, it's with support, it's with yeah. speaking out and, you know, th th using your voice on this podcast is, you know, it it's the kind of thing where, I, where, you know, we want to connect with people and we will connect with people who have gone through very similar things to you because yeah. being adopted enough is, is an identity crisis enough for a yes. lot of people. Yes. And, and it's really, it, you, you said, and that, it sounds to me, you know, describe to me, it sounds like this, your whole circumstance you went through has given you a profound sense of purpose and a profound sense of being here. I, I don't know how this sounds to someone else, but I am thankful for it all. Yeah. I, I am saddened beyond anything that there had to have been suffering specifically for Claire, mm -hmm. um, because the, I still can't even come to terms with that amount of suffering. Mm -hmm. You lose one child, like it, it's, a, that's, it, it's, yeah. I can't wrap my head around it. Um, but I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm here, I'm 50 years old mm -hmm. and I'm talking, I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I'm talking about it and I'm thankful for the experience because mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I have the empathy and I'm mm -hmm. thankful, you know, if I didn't, I, I wouldn't relate to everyone's pain. I feel like I relate to people's pain on so many different levels from people who have divorced parents to people who are adopted to on so many different levels. Yeah. And I'm, and I, I just feel like that's a blessing. Yeah, it, it, it's good because th looking at it as a blessing, I know people who get a lot into feeling it so deeply that it begins to profoundly affect their life, that they don't become a functioning person because they are so tied up in this grief yeah. or and all these things that happen to them. And the cycle mistakenly continues. Right. And so somewhere along the line, you, it sounds like basically right off the bat, almost you yeah realized maybe you didn't realize realize but you yeah. used it you used it because that's what I am with my mental health I've gone yeah. through really horrific times in my life yeah and I just started learning first of all I'm always going to have it and second of all yeah. how can I figure out a way to let people know yeah just like you're doing that they're not alone yeah and to reach out for help when it's there hundred percent hundred percent and yeah it, it yeah you've yeah. just summed it up exactly yeah. Your, your story is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I really appreciate you sharing, you know, how you have navigated through this to be, to have it define you in such a positive way and to let people understand that they can have their life defined by this kind of adversary adversity as well. I really absolutely. appreciate you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, Lise. Thanks so much, John. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.